Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs, startups, and side hustlers share their startup stories. Rising Tide helps you break free from the Monday blues and launch your own startup. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. Thank you again, Lucy. This is Kevin Pruitt with Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Clayton Molyneux. Clayton, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. No problems at all, Kevin. Good to be here. So tell our listeners a little bit, of, just kind of give us a little background on who, who is Clayton. Sure. Well, I'm based over in uh, Perth in Western Australia, which uh, uh, is famous for being one of the most isolated capital cities in the world, actually, which given the current uh, climate that we're in with what's going on in the world is probably a benefit right at the minute. Um, so over here in Perth, uh, uh, but uh, moved back from Seattle last year, uh, was living over in Seattle in, uh, in Washington for four, uh, four and a half years with my family. Uh, and I was uh, with a startup over there, working with a company called Auth0. Um, uh, and what led me to startups was uh, that, you know, I've always really loved small business and, uh, you know, going back to kind of uh, when I was just starting to work in uh, professionally after university, you know, always tended to work for small businesses and uh, end up uh, joining Microsoft uh, here in Australia for uh, a while, probably five or six years. Um, and that was the first big corporation I'd worked for. Then uh, some found, uh, the founders of Auth0 over in Seattle uh, were ex-Microsoft, so I had a connection there. And, uh, you know, again, that calling of, of working in a small business or a sure. startup in Seattle was really exciting for me. So ended up uh, convincing the family to go over to, uh, to Seattle and, uh, and worked at Auth0, uh, which was, you know, super exciting and uh, learned a lot of things and you know, a very successful company and still going very strong. But uh, family, family commitments sort of drove us to come back to Australia last year. Uh, I've got a, a son who's 12 and a daughter who's nine. So son was about to start uh, high school over here in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're keen for sort of him to, to come back to high school um and in the last uh, you know since returning back from the u.s uh look i took a bit of time off to be honest had a bit of a rest um it was uh, you know fairly uh, uh intensive time for those four years at that startup which which grew a lot while i was there so I took a bunch of time off and in the last sort of three or four months just been ramping up uh you're getting involved in the startup ecosystem here in australia uh, sort of in an advising and consulting capacity with quite early stage startups, sometimes pre-product market fit, um, uh, you know, just getting involved any way I can and, and try to figure out, you know, really uh, some, some new projects for me to, to launch into. So, so kind of tell me, you tell me if you want to know anything more. Oh, I, yeah. I, I mean, so I'm going to start unpacking this uh, kind of the trajectory that you went, you know, so you started with small business and you were kind of with Microsoft yeah. and then some, some, uh, renegade ex-Microsoft guys decided we're going to start something and hey, we got this friend in, in Australia that we would love to have as part of that setup. So what is the, what exactly did they do? And I mean, it, that seems to be a pretty common practice that, you know, Google loses people, Microsoft loses right. people, you know, the, the, the other unicorns lose people to start things. So what did, mm-hmm. what did Auth0 do? So Auth0 is a tool for developers to help them uh, with the authentication and uh, like identity piece of of the software that they develop. So um, very sort of technical developer focused tool. 
Um, but essentially with the outlook that every, co- every company is a software company these days. So it doesn't sure. matter whether you're Microsoft or whether you're yeah. Boeing or Tesla or Ford, uh, everybody, every company has developers internally that are writing software, either internal software or, you know, external software for, for the consumers. And, uh, obviously the, you know, identity piece, uh, you know, the logging in, the security, the multi-factor authentication, yeah. you know, it, it's super important, uh, has been for the last few years, especially with things like GDPR coming in over in Europe. And so essentially it's a tool that makes that a lot simpler for developers and takes a lot of the risk out of it for them. Um, they can use our set of tools or Auth0 set of tools. I say ours, I'm still a, I'm still a shareholder. So that's why I still refer to ours. Um, but essentially they can use that tool to, to simplify that process and do a lot more complex things that they perhaps would have to, you know, spend hours and hours, days and days, weeks, you know, writing the code to be able to achieve. So that's essentially what Auth0 uh, does. Um, I joined when there was about 20 people at the company. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't know a lot about that space, to be honest, it was fairly uh, new to me, but I've always worked in, in, you know, technical companies, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Microsoft and, you know, managed service provider businesses before that. Um, and so, you know, it didn't take me long to kind of pick up the gist of, of what they were doing, although I'm not a developer and I must admit that I learned pretty quickly that developers are a whole different, uh, different, <laughs> different kettle of fish, a whole different language. So there's a lot of things I had to learn. That's for sure. So you spent the last four years, I mean, you got there pretty early. So, I mean, you, more than just an employee of the company, you would have had, I mean, really a vested stake in, in seeing this company kind of, you know, almost from the early stage startup phase to, um, I mean, uh, seems like I read somewhere on the start on, on your website that, that uh, it actually, it by itself achieved unicorn status as well. Right. Yeah. So last year uh, we raised series E uh, of our funding and that uh, gave us a, we're still pre IPO. So still a private company, but that gave us a a billion dollar pre IPO valuation, which was pretty exciting. And in fact, that was the, uh, that was pretty much the, the, the flag for me to leave. If you like, you know, uh, we're over in Mexico, we had a company offsite, we have a company offsite every year. And uh, in fact, I used to host those for the last few years. So um, I was over in Mexico hosting that and uh, you know, that achievement felt like a good time. Hence, you know, uh, I mean, the fact that we're coming back to Australia just felt like a nice end to the journey. Uh, would have loved to have stayed there, but it was just not not tenable for me to kind of continue to work from the other side of the world yeah, in, in, the, yeah. in the roles that I was doing. But yes, achieved uh, that unicorn status. Um, but you're right. I mean, an incredible journey and, uh, you know, something that, as I said, I learned a lot from and hence why I think I can really add a lot of value to uh, other early stage startups because look, it's, it's a, a little bit of a gamble, obviously a startup. Um, and I'm sure there was a little bit of luck involved that Auth0 was successful. I could have just been unlucky and got over there with a company that lasted six months and didn't grow and, and uh, packed my bags and, and come home again. Um, but uh, while I was there, the company grew from yeah, about 20 people to five, 550 when I left. Um, so some really you know, rapid growth in terms substantial of yeah, growth, number yeah. of employees, but, but also revenue and all those things grew substantially as well. Um, so yeah, it was... Uh, 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 you know, a, a little bit of a risk, but uh, look, the the founders of the company, uh, you know, also and the CEO of the company also had uh, you know stellar careers at big companies like Microsoft, and mm-hmm. I was very confident that if if people like that had left, uh, you know, their livelihoods to come and start the company, that they were pretty serious about it and that they right. knew what they were doing, and so I felt very confident, kind of leaving, you know, what was a great role at Microsoft as well, um, and and taking that risk, and uh, you know, so far it it, it paid off. 
It's it's interesting that you you talked about that. I mean, I you you you're you're like getting in my head because you're actually answering questions but that I'm about to ask you. So I think we got <laughs> this time that. space thing out. It, it kind of whacked. Maybe it's the coronavirus or something that's affecting the Good internet. Day. But so I, I mean, I'm really curious. I, I I you know I warned you beforehand. We may chase a chase a rabbit here, but. Yeah, you, you mentioned specifically, I mean, because I was going to ask you about like, what was the like the mental process that you went through to decide, okay, I'm moving my family virtually to the opposite side of the planet. It's a calculated risk, but I'm going to take it because I trust these guys. I trust, you know, what they're what they have going. I mean, there are, there was 19 people before me that, you know, kind of jumped on this train, but right. Walk me through that kind of the mental process that other people may be, you know, considering as well, kind of what you, you were thinking. Yeah, I think that's a really great question because, you know, there are so many people who I think want to, you know, they, they, they dream of doing something that uh, perhaps is, you know, they're, they're passionate about, but they're just, you know, it's very hard to take that risk or to think about what you're leaving behind or, you know, if it doesn't work out. And I had all those thoughts, you know, for sure. In fact, you know, my wife and I had probably talked about doing something like that for a number of years. Um, when you work at Microsoft, often your career plan has to go and you know do a stint over in Redmond, where the Microsoft yep. head office is over in Washington. And so, you know, we had sort of mentally been in that space for a year or two in terms of uh, you know potentially moving the family to go and work at Microsoft in the big head office one day. Um, and and we're just starting to sort of seriously explore that option when the Auth Zero option came up. Now, of course, that's a little bit of a different scenario because you know never heard of this company, much smaller. There was no you know fantastic uh, relocation package like you would get at a big corporation <laughs> like right. Microsoft. So it was a little bit harder. Someone may meet you at the airport. <laughs> right, exactly. Good luck. And there may or may not be an office. Who knows? You know. <laughs> um, so it was a little bit of a uh, you know that was a bit of a challenge to get over, but. Um, look, when, when my wife and I look back at probably what we've done over the last 20 years, we've kind of taken risks that have always just paid off. I mean, you know, the reason I met my wife in the first place was I decided on a bit of a whim to uh, move from Melbourne, which is where I grew up over on the other side of the country and, and come over to Perth. Um, and, uh, you know, just because I was in between jobs and I just thought, well, I'm just going to go and explore and ended up meeting, you know, meeting Jane, my wife here in, in Perth and, uh, you know, went back home to Melbourne. I was probably about 21 or 22. And I think I just told my parents, I told them some fib, oh, just, uh, you know, I need to go to Perth, uh, you know, <laughs> lots of opportunity over there. I have Didn't this tell thing them. over there. <laughs> Didn't tell them that I'd met a girl. So pretty much packed <laughs> right. up and, and left. But, you know, and then, and then that really continued, you know, uh, Jane and I moved back to Melbourne after a couple of years uh, for another opportunity for, you know, both of us for work. We came back to Perth again. We married, we had kids, went back to Melbourne again. And so we just had this history of kind of doing those things. And every time we did them, you know, something good always happened. We, make, we, we met great people. Uh, we have, you know, great friends from some of those uh, moves. Sure. And so I guess that was some of the thinking that we had when it was like, well, should we do this? Should we do this Seattle thing? And we just thought, well, why not? And, you know, I, I like to think a lot of the time about, well, what can go wrong? You know, what's the worst case scenario? In yeah. fact, you know, Jeff Bezos, I, I quite often use his reference to type A and type B decisions. Not sure if you've ever seen the reference to that, but, you know, he talks about type A decisions being, you know, decisions that you can make, but you can easily just walk, you know, you sort of go through the door, but you can easily come back through the door if you really need to. Um, and he, he says, which is true, most decisions in life are like that. You know, not many decisions are life and death. They're, you know, irreversible. Um, and uh, that's a, a mindset that I continue to take for a lot of big decisions. And that's certainly the case when you're doing something like, you know, what I did with Auth0. Hey, if I got over there and didn't work out, 
look, you just pack your bags and you know, you could come back through that door and just come home again. Sure, a little bit of financial burden maybe or whatever, but things those things work out in the end. So I think that that was a lot of the the, the thinking behind doing it. It was just about let's let's go on this adventure and and you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? Probably not a lot. What's the best thing that can happen? Well, you know, a great deal of new relationships, new friends, new experiences, and, uh, you know, good professional uh, uh, development as well. Sure. Sure. I, I mean, I love that the way you kind of framed the, the story there and, and, you know, you kind of drew on prior experiences of, you know, hey, we moved from one side of, the, of Australia to the other, back and forth a couple of times. And each time right. it was, it, we kind of gained from that experience. We gained friends, we gained relationships, we gained opportunity experience. And, and you exactly. know, I, I have a feeling that at somewhere in the conversation, you did say, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen? The worst thing that could happen yep. is we get over there, it all goes pear-shaped and we get back on a plane and we come back and, and I, I go back to work for somebody else. So, um, I want exactly. to ask you one other question before I, I kind of transition into what you're doing now. The, sure. but, um, this is more at a, you know, 50,000 foot level, you know, that kind of the question around, you know, executives stepping out or, you know, high, higher management stepping out of, of major companies and starting companies. I, I mean, I've got, I've, I've got a question there's so many that, that make really good executives, but may make really poor startup founders. Right. Did you, you know, when you, it's interesting, you know, when you, you talked about the, the guys that stepped out and started, you know, the company in Seattle, that it was very mm-hmm. successful. I mean, did they make that transition? Well, I mean, obviously at least some of them had to have made it well. Yeah, I've, look, I think they did make it well. But one of the other things that really attracted me to the company and even I look for now in startups is that they actually, uh, both the founders had the foresight to uh, hire a CEO early on in the piece. So neither of the founders assumed the role of CEO, maybe very early on when they literally yeah. had no staff. You know, right. I think, I think uh, you know, Eugenio Pace, one of the founders was CEO for the first year when it was very much about product market fit. But really when they, when they you know, became uh, commercialized and, and understood they were going to grow, uh, one of the first things they did was hire a CEO. It was a, a gentleman by the name of John Gelsey, who was also ex-Microsoft, had been in the mergers and acquisitions at Microsoft, had been involved in things like the acquisition of Skype. And so he knew the VC space extremely well he knew how to go and you know receive funding um and and to me you know i think that's must be a very difficult decision for founders to make to kind of you know your it's your idea it's your company you founded it but you're really giving the reins to somebody else but it's also it's also for me a strong indication that you are adapting you know very well to to that life because you're recognizing that you don't necessarily have the skill set that you're going to require to to get this thing off the ground which is you know yeah. some of the most important periods of a startup of course is those first couple of years right um so you know i think you're right i think the the, the biggest thing about startups which is different to corporates that that i learned and the only time i've ever worked at a big corporate is at microsoft and i did that somewhat deliberately to go and get mm-hmm. that experience um but really at a startup it's just the you know it's the ambiguity that there is no path forward that uh, somebody has plotted before and i think some people will thrive in that environment and, and that's one of the things I learned about myself is that is the environment I love that's you know looking back that's why I love working in small business because that ambiguity the 
the, you know, just the things, the challenges you have every day, the left field things that get thrown at you, the wearing the different hats. Some people thrive in that. Other people thrive in the, you know, here is my uh, uh, swim lanes. This is what I operate in. You know, these are the five core functions of my role and I don't operate out of those, but I do a you know, really good job accelerating forward on those. And I think that can be the difference between executives who are super successful in, in big corporations uh, and then who go and try and, you know, survive in this sudden world of ambiguity where there are no clear swim lanes yeah. uh, and, you know, and they have to wear lots of different hats and, uh, you know, don't have that same structure. I think that's probably one of the biggest, biggest challenges that, that execs have. I mean, I, I, I love the way you frame that. And even, you know, you kind of wove your own story into that as well. And, and so it's a, it's a perfect segue into where I'd like to head next. And that really is, you know, you're, you're on the plane, you're coming home, you need a little downtime because you've probably worked about 80 hours a week for the last you know, right. three years. And you're like, I, I just need to breathe a little bit, kind of get my feet under me a, a bit and figure out kind yep. of what is the next phase of life. So tell me what, what was that? Uh, what was the impetus? What was the light bulb that came on that said, Hey, this is what I'm going to do next. Yeah. Well, you know, I've never been one to plan ahead uh, uh, that much, to be honest, um, which, you know, sometimes can, can not work out that well, but, but it has tended to be okay for me. So, you know, I've never had a career plan. I've never, you know, I don't, I don't have a particular profession. I'm not a lawyer or a doctor or, you know, I can't even say that I'm a, you know, I, I've always worked in a lot of different areas in, in business, generally sales, marketing, general management, always been around those things. Um, and so when, when you don't have, you know, a clear career path like that, it's, uh, I guess the advantage is that everything seems like it's still a possibility and an open. So when, when I was coming back and sitting on the plane and having those thoughts, like you were saying, um, really what, what struck me was that I wanted to do, you know, I felt like I was at the stage in my, I guess, life as well as career. I'm in my early forties. Um, where I was, you know, I want to do something that I really love doing and that I genuinely enjoy doing. We've all worked in jobs before that, you know, they're okay. They're a job, you go there, but you know, you don't necessarily really get that excited about it or perhaps it's even the company, you know, whatever the company does that you work for, it's not your passion and that's fine. We've all got to do that at some point, but I was at the point where I felt like I really want to do something that I truly enjoy and can learn from and can help others. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and so that's, that was my thinking. And so I guess uh, what I didn't want to do was just, you know, have that feeling of going out and getting a job for the sake sure. of getting a job. And uh, I, that's where I kind of started to think about, well, what you can couldn't I have do done it anyway in your best well, effort. You, you you were broken after your time in Seattle. So there was, right. there was no way you could come back and go back in the cube, so to speak. Exactly. It was very difficult to go back to that thought as well. Um, and so essentially, uh, you know, that's what I've been doing really for the last uh, three or four months after I took a bit of time off, I've just been chasing things that I enjoy doing. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's resulted in this company MX growth. That's kind of a consulting company that I've started and I have a few others that, uh, you know, help out, uh, doing things along there. Um, but personally, what the things that I'm working on within that, uh, you know, like I said, a lot of, uh, just, just conversations and uh, consulting and coaching type work with early stage startups, sometimes founders who are only in their twenties, so, you know, I really enjoy because, I think uh, I look back to when I was in my twenties and I think, wow, I wish I had somebody that was, you know, 20 years older than me that could perhaps have, have given me some tips, inspiration, or just told me that, Hey, everything's going to be okay with this thing that you're doing. Um, and so I love doing that. I also really enjoy writing. And so I've actually been doing a, a little bit of uh, ghost writing for CEOs and, mm. uh, you know, senior leaders at, uh, at companies actually, uh, you know, quick, funny fact, I studied journalism. That's actually what I studied at university. Um, but quickly worked out that, 
for the first few years of journalism, you didn't seem to really make any money. <laughs> in fact, people just seem to want to make you, you were the coffee, the coffee boy or you you know, did copying on the coffee machine. Or work at um, midnight. So that's yeah, a, absolutely. Right. That's actually how I ended up in, in IT was because, uh, you know, they were, they were willing to write you a check after working. Um, and so anyway, that's, that's really the thought process I, I had and, and still have, you know, and look, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not the same as having a, a job or being a senior guy at a startup and uh, certainly not getting the, the, the sort of paycheck I used to get. Uh, but, you know, these things take a while to, to, to grow. But also, you know, I'm, I'm learning that there are more things in life than, you know, the getting that paycheck. And if yeah. you, if you, you know, can survive with uh, with what you're doing in terms of the income that you're getting, but you're really enjoying it, and there's opportunities to learn more. Then, uh, you know, what tends to happen, and what's certainly happening already, is that new opportunities just keep opening up and opening up. And uh, you know, there's no doubt that in a year's time, things will look a little bit different. And I'm, I'll find some great projects that uh, are both probably rewarding financially, but also rewarding, you know, professionally, personally. Um, and that's that's kind of the the space. I mean, I'm just waiting for that to happen. Of course, you know, nobody predicts the sort of events that are happening at the moment. So that might put a bit of a, a dampener on things for, for a while, but I think that also presents a whole bunch of new opportunities and, you know, I guess different ways of thinking to, about how, how we're all going to get through this, let alone just me personally. Oh, for sure. I, I, uh, and as you were talking, I had had two or three just really kind of disparate thoughts that kind of went through my mind really quickly. Number one was, I mean, I, I really love the startup space as well. And I, I love, mm. you know, the early stage startup space and, and the, uh, even the, you know, millennial Gen Z, you know, startup founders. I mean, because they, right. they, it, you know, they're, they're hammers and everything looks like a nail, you know, yep. <laughs> it yep. is the, they just have that mentality. But I also have found that they don't have any money. So right. <laughs> that is, that may be the only downside if they're your ideal client is that, you know, unless they've kind of raised some outside funding that, uh, you know, they're, they're eating a lot of ramen noodles and, and, uh, you know, living four people to an apartment and, and, uh, you exactly. know, just staying up late on sharing a computer. But, uh, so how, that do, is you, very how true. do you balance that? I mean, are, are you, I mean, you, you kind of described your ideal client, but, uh, you know, you, you guys have to eat as well. So how are you balancing that with right. your, with your, with MX growth? Well, you balance that with uh, having some other clients that do have funding and that are willing to pay. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, you know, it is a fine balance. I mean, obviously, the typical thing that you know a lot of advisors and consultants do is, is you know, take an equity stake. So have a, uh, a sweat equity arrangement, whatever you might want to call it. And, uh, you know, that's something that I've certainly discussed with some of those very early stage startups that you're right. I mean, they don't have, uh, you know, a lot of cash in the bank and everything that they have is going into paying the two or three engineers that they have to develop their products. So uh, you either look at taking an equity stake, which, uh, you know, is is not really uh, you, you can't take equity down to uh, uh, yeah. Costco and pay for pay yeah. for your groceries. Exactly. You know? So uh, so yes, the 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 balance is that you know I am also working with other companies that are a little bit further along, still not super mature. I mean, maybe they're twenty people, uh, but they do have say a round of funding. They've got a right. Series A or maybe right. a seed round, and they're more on the uh, on the path of kind of scaling yeah. in you know, the market. And, and so, probably some um, revenue. It's they're, they're probably not pre revenue exactly. at that stage. So yeah, no, exactly. They have some revenue. You know, money in the bank and uh and you know they're, they're willing to to you know 
bring on a consultant and they expect to pay for their services. But look, you know, again, I really enjoy the other conversations as well. The ones with the, the young founders. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. the, and the thing is that again, all those things end up leading to something because there are other advisors that might be advising those uh, guys or girls that are running those businesses and you end up meeting them and they're you know, advising a bigger firm and they take right. you in there. And that's, that's really, to be honest, what's happened over the last sort of three or four months is just a lot of networking and a lot of meeting great people. And, you know, uh, you tell your story, they tell theirs and you end up kind of saying, wow, I really know somebody I think would benefit from you and, and vice versa. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing how, you know, networks and, and relationships generate, you know, business and, and it's, right. it's often reciprocal. I mean, you know, you, you may introduce somebody this week, but next week, you know, they may pick up the phone and say, Hey, I, I met somebody that I think you really need to touch base with because it's a little more, you know, right in your kind of zone of genius or right in your skill set. you know, that, that it's a really good fit, you know, so to speak. So, um, yeah. it's just really great to see these relationships kind of blend together, you know, and kind of cross paths with each other. And it's really kind of the whole idea behind the, the podcast that I started was, you know, the, the idea of, of rising tide raises all boats. I mean, yeah. um, you know, this, this whole idea that how can we, you know, highlight founders, how can we highlight kind of early stage you know, uh, CEOs and startups and, and solopreneurs and side hustlers. And how can we really just build a, a kind of a, a, just a growing creative, you know, synergy around them and, uh, you know, let them speak to each other as well, you know, put them in touch with each other. But I just love yeah, the space. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's why I love doing, you know, podcasts as well. And I've, you know, I've been doing a few lately. And in fact, it was funny, I was having a coffee with a friend yesterday, and we we're obviously talking about you know, a bit of doom and gloom that's around at the moment. And I said, well, you know, I'm doing this podcast in the morning. And he's like, oh, well, at least you're getting, you know, at least you're still getting some income. And I said, oh, no, you don't, you don't get paid for, for doing most podcasts. You know, it's just a thing that you do. And, and that's okay with me. You know, I do them because it's exactly what you just said. It's about actually adding some value. You know, you're going to get value out of this. I'm going to get value out of it for, you know, learning. Uh, you, you get to speak to founders every couple of weeks and so you know the knowledge you have and, and what you've learned is, is you know, as much as a learning experience for me as, as what uh, you know I am as well so uh, you know it's about this idea of just creating value I think and that's what so many people are doing a great job of you know you see obviously to the extremes people like Gary V yeah. but also there's a lot of just you know uh, small independent founders people that are even just working as an employee in certain companies and a lot of people are doing a great job at just creating value and um, I think that's you know that's largely what uh, what is going to be really important going forward in terms of the success of of businesses and people individually it's it's funny you hear you hear people talk about gary v it's it's kind of in the using the same like vernacular when they talk about well it's the uber of something or it's the airbnb right. of something well actually it's the yeah, it's, gary v version the, of something. He's, right. he's like the human right. uber you know he's yeah the, the yeah human unicorn, i, I so. got under gary v maybe a year ago i was probably a bit of a late bloomer i'd never heard of the guy but uh, i mean i certainly don't you know follow him uh, religiously at the moment but yeah. you know, I, i'm he inevitably comes up on my LinkedIn feed every now and then and I watch some of his stuff and, you know, I mean, good on him. He's, uh, he's got more energy than uh, a thousand people combined. And, that he does. Um, that he does. I mean, his, his, I think his whole uh, um, goal in life is to own the New York Jets, you know, NFL football right. team. <laughs> that, that's all he right. lives for is to own that team yep. that, that they won't sell to him. So. <laughs> This is, this is also another great transition point because, I mean, I, I love the idea of, of what you've kind of walked through as you've, you've kind of tried to launch MX Growth and, and mm. uh, over the last 12, 18 months or whatever. So I, this is the time where I kind of step aside and, and you become the professor on our Rising Tide Startup School. And, 
you know, walk us through a couple of three just really crucial steps that you think a, a startup founder really has to have in place, you know, foundationally to really start whatever it is well. And just you know, walk us through, here's, here's two or three steps that, that you just really need to follow. Yeah, well, firstly, I listened to your guest, uh, I think it was last week, it was uh, Meryl, right, from yeah, Ninja Bean. Johnson, yeah. Yeah. And so I certainly reiterate what, what she said, which what she said, which was a very practical advice, actually. And I, I noticed the first thing she said was, you know, we've well, got to be in a position financially to do that. Spoken like a true accountant, of course. As, as <laughs> she is. That's right. Um, but I actually thought that is, you know, that's very sage advice that I wouldn't actually think to, to give somebody. Uh, you know, uh, but, but I think that is a very important thing is, uh, you know, it, it helps to be in a financial position, obviously, to do things. But the flip side of that is, uh, you know, I would tell people to, to just start, you know, I think. Uh, especially in this day and age, uh, coronavirus uh, not not included, but uh, you know, I mean, everybody can start a, a business. We live in this the gig economy, as everyone's calling yeah. it. Uh, the 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 opportunity to start a business is is there for everybody, and I think uh, the the first step to take, which is the one that a lot of people find the hardest, is just to start. You know, it's uh, it's so easy. It's low cost. It doesn't have to be the world's biggest business. You don't have to have dreams of going global. Uh, it can be right. easy as you know what we talked about before, creating some value, some part, uh, something that you're an expert in, uh, creating that and trying to sell it online. You know, I mean, that could literally be your first business while you're holding down your full-time job and doing all those things. And I think what happens is that you have, you know, snowball effects then that works yeah. well, you learn from that and then you can you know, step up and, and do the next thing. So I think just starting, um, is really important. In fact, I used to, uh, you know, kind of talk about, talk to my team uh, in the startup about, you know, constantly this concept of less planning and, and more doing. And I think that's what a lot of people suffer from is they, they plan to do uh, something. They, they have a plan. It's 30 pages or a hundred slides. It's really good. They adjust it every few months, you know, but the best plan that you've got is the one that you're executing. Um, so I think, uh, I think just, stop the planning and, and start uh, practicing essentially um, you know what I found over time is that really the the plan is informed by the doing so you, you have a much better plan going forward if you're actually out doing stuff and learning from it so I think that's the first thing is just just get started um, and then rolling on from that you know it gets back to what we're kind of talking about before with um, you know the, the it's so easy to create an MVP, if you like, the, the minimum viable product these days. This, uh, I'm not sure if you've seen this whole movement around no code. Have you, have you familiar with that? No. A lot of these tools that are out there at the moment that are basically, uh, you know, give you the ability to develop uh, applications, but really don't require a lot of knowledge about coding. So a good example is a company called Bubble, bubble.io. Mm -hmm. um, much more of a visual design experience, but you know, even somebody with a limited technical experience can essentially throw together an application. So, you know, again, the opportunities for, for people to start a business and have that MVP in place are uh, uh, much more you know, prevalent, easy than they were in the past. Um, so I think, uh, you know, not, not thinking that it's a daunting task as you know, I have to hire 10 engineers to build a product. I'm not going to do it. You know, again, it's kind of get started, build the minimum possible thing that you can build using the tools that are available. Uh, think about that Bezos mentality of, you know, type one, type two decisions, right. just make decisions. Don't, sure. don't stall. You know, if you make the wrong decision, you'll be able to go back and fix it most of the time. And then, you know, if you're getting through those things, I think, and things look good and they're growing, then the next obvious thing would be to find a great team, you know, start thinking about, well, what skill sets do I need to add if I really am going to go full time now and, 
and launch into this business, you know, who do I need to be by my side, um, both from a skill set point of view, but also importantly, I think from a you know relationship and a culture point of view, you know, what sort of people do I want to work with and what sort of company do I want to run? I think if you can get those three things, start, you know, build things, fail quickly, change, iterate, uh, and then get a right team around you. I think yeah, they're pretty good building blocks to, 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 to build from. And that, that really, I mean, these, this, these are kind of universal truths, you know, in, in this right. space. I mean, it doesn't have to be a unicorn that you're, you're kind of pre-unicorn state. I mean, this is even for even small, uh, yeah. you know, one, two, three p- people, you know, entities that you're creating that, that may never scale, you know, to be a large company. But I mean, the Absolutely. whole idea of it's, it is so important, you know, who you're working with. It's so important you know, that, that they, you, you bring on skill sets that you don't have, so to speak. And I, someone, someone extremely famous said, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So um, exactly. I, I yeah. really love that, that idea that, that, uh, and it, it goes back to even the guys, you know, back at, at Auth O that, that you said they have to take their hands off of it. I mean, it's, it was their creation, their, their child, so to speak, you know, that they really have to kind of release you know, by, by bringing the CEO into, into run that. Yeah, that's it. Well, and, and, you know, the, the rest of that story is that then eventually after, you know, probably three years of, of uh, the, you know, outside CEO coming in and, you know, raising quite a few of the first rounds of capital, uh, then, you know, uh, uh, Eugenio, who was actually, I reported to most of the time I was at Auth0, he then did step up and, and took that CEO role because, mm-hmm. you know, those first three years were as much about learning how to be a CEO and using John as uh, essentially his, you know, his role model for that role. And then eventually, you know, he learned enough from John, especially about the fundraising piece, because that was the piece I think he... Uh, you know, he needed to learn a little bit about and, uh, you know, then he stepped up into that CEO role. So again, that's just, uh, you know, I think a lot of the time we think of CEOs or even leaders as being very, uh, uh, I don't know, not having that mindset of, of, of uh, you know, I don't know something and I'm willing to say it, you know, but I think that vulnerability is, is super important. There's no right. point pretending that you know things that you don't know. I think right. you get a lot further by saying, I don't know this thing. I need somebody to help me understand it. Um, and that's, you know, a philosophy that I certainly have when I'm managing teams as well. I'm not afraid to tell people that I don't know and yep. maybe we can work it out together um, because otherwise you just get yourself into a big mess. Well, I mean, at some point in time, you're going to be exposed anyway. So I, and it also, I think it gives people ownership, you know, in if you're, if you're drawing them out and drawing them into decision-making and, and, and trust, you know, trusting your team. So I, I yeah. could continue to ask you follow-up questions for the rest of the day, but um, I, I do want to honor your time and, and just tell me, what have I, what have I not asked you about that you just kind of want to wrap up with just a real quick point and then, Tell, tell people where they can find more about, about you online and your company. Yeah, look, I don't think there's uh, too much that we haven't covered. I, I did jot down just a couple of, just in case sometimes I'm on a podcast and somebody says, oh, what's your, give us your favorite saying or quote. So uh, sure, I do have a couple of favorites and I, and I just thought I'd jot those down. So given that I haven't had an opportunity to, to, to tell you those, let me just tell you a, a couple of things that, you know, again, I've learned over the last few years and, and actually it was the, the now CEO, uh, Eugenio Pace, who taught me a lot about sto- stoic, sto- stoicism, I should say. Uh, and he was a big, uh, a big reader of Marcus Aurelius. Um, and so uh, he used to He's say the Gary to me about, of Stoics, by the way. Right, exactly. That's right. <laughs> he was ahead of his time. Um, so he's got the famous saying, uh, you know, what stands in the way becomes the way, which is you know, part of a larger quote. Uh, the impediment becomes the way, what stands in the way uh, becomes the way or something like that anyway. Um, uh, but essentially, you know, again, that is something that I, I 
continually think about and you know when i'm talking to people and they sort of say we just can't get around this blocker or we keep getting stuck here and when you drill into it you know people tend to be looking for ways to get around those blockers and those things and uh you know i think i constantly just you know keep that marcus aurelius quote in my mind about well sometimes going trying to get around it is the wrong way to go you know if you find a blocker just charging straight on head on to it uh, is often a great way to short circuit things you can get through that you know trust your team work things out uh, and that often short circuits a process by months if not even years you know you once you get on the other side of that blocker it's a lot quicker than having to go right around uh, the mountain uh, right you know, uh, for example so uh, that's one another great one i like to use is uh, from a, a guy called howard thurman who probably nobody's ever heard of he was a u.s author in the civil rights we're a bit of a leader during the civil rights. Uh, he also has a saying that I love to use, which is don't ask what the world needs, uh, ask what makes you come alive and go do it because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And again, that really resonated with me when I read that probably 10 or 15 years ago. And, and it's something that I kind of use, you know, with my own personal philosophy and values. And that's all about, again, just doing what you love because when you do something you love, it lights you up from when you're lit up and enthusiastic and passionate, you're sort of, you're being your best self and you usually, contributing the best to to the world and and that's kind of a philosophy i take again into the teams and when i'm talking to people and coaching people and uh and managing people it's kind of what what do you love doing because that's when i'm going to get the best from you is when you're doing what it is that you love doing so um i just thought i'd slip those two things in there because absolutely been what, a, what a way helpful, to wrap up helpful for me no it's helpful, for, helpful me. all of for all of us or for every one of our listeners that I mean, it, and it resonates so much because I, I think that we have a, a lot of similarity personality wise. So um, I, those would be the type of quotes that I would cut out and put up on the wall or tape to well, the laptop. I can, e- or I can email, them, email them to you. Absolutely. So, you've got um, Absolutely. so we, literally, we literally put that Marcus Aurelius one on the wall or, you know, I did, I put it on the wall in our office at Auth0 in Seattle because, you know, that very reason that that's how kind of, you know, much it felt like it at the core of, of who we were. So we did put put it in nice big letters on the wall. Uh, in terms of how people can contact me, uh, the, the website uh, for my company, mxgrowth.com uh, is where you'll find uh, find me. You can email me directly, uh, directly at clayton at mxgrowth.com. Uh, I have a newsletter as well called the Startup Foundations Builder Newsletter that I just started only uh, a month or so ago. You'll find the subscribe button on that website I just mentioned at mxgrowth.com. Uh, and of course, I'm on all the usual socials, LinkedIn and Twitter especially. Uh, I have a, quite a unique name, Clayton Molino. So if you search for that, uh, you'll find me because nobody else has that name. So <laughs> you'll find me pretty easily. Well, we'll certainly make sure that all those links are in the show notes as, when this episode goes live. And Clayton, I, I just can't thank you enough for taking the time today and, and just sharing the, the story. I, I love the idea of, you know, being on multiple continents and in multiple different settings. You know, just the, the experiences you've learned and, and the things that you've transferred, you know, from each stage, you know, even going back to, you know, early, early marriage and moving back and forth across Australia and just the, how everything is kind of, you know, woven together to, to get you where you are today. And, and uh, then you're pouring back into people as well. So what a way Great. to, uh, you know, kind of pay it forward. But just thank you again for just taking the time tonight and just really playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Clayton, have a great day. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Kevin. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.